listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by Dougie Center, the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. So sometimes interviews go in a completely different direction than I planned. I show up with a topic in mind and a list of questions to go with that topic. Most of the time, we stick to it, but other times a different theme shows up, so we go in that direction. That's what happened in this interview. Emily and I plan to talk about going back to work with grief, especially when the place you're going back to is the one you worked at with your person who died. In this case, Emily's partner, Chantel. It's a really important topic, and one day I'll make an episode about it. But as Emily and I started talking, it became clear that our conversation was going to be about love and loss and loneliness and the wonder of falling in love again while carrying everything Emily learned about love from Chantel into that new relationship. Here are the facts. Emily and Chantel met through work. They started as friends, and over time they fell for each other. They moved in together. They cared for Chantel's dog, Indy. They made plans for the future. Then, on a Saturday night in February of 2020, when they were walking back from dinner near their apartment, Chantel was killed in a hit-and-run. This changed everything. And a few weeks later, everything changed in the world when the pandemic shutdown started. After the initial few weeks of family and friends being there to support her, Emily was left alone with Chantel's dog, Indy, and with her grief. Emily, thank you for making time to be part of Grief Out Loud. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. This is a very cool experience. How did you and Chantel meet? Um, so Chantel and I met through work. And uh, I first moved out to Portland about five years back in July of 2018. And I work in construction. So the way it goes is you get assigned to a project site. And the project site has, you know, a construction team there. So an admin team, some project managers, project engineers, schedules, like a whole conglomerate of people. And she was one of the admins there. And so when I first showed up to my job, she was actually one of the very first faces that I saw because she sat in the front, greeted everybody. We talked a lot. She was really easy to talk to. Um, She was really hilarious. And so after talking for a bit, we realized that we actually lived right across the street from one another in the apartment complexes. So my apartment complex was literally a block away from hers. So when we found that out, we started carpooling to work. We'd start hanging out outside of work. One thing led to another, and there's just a lot of chemistry that built up, and we both ended up really falling for each other. I know you've already talked quite a bit about what drew you to her, but were there other things that, you know, just really helped you to the two of you connect? Yeah, I mean, there there were a lot of things that drew me to her. She was... You know, she was really easy to talk to. She was a very open person. 
And she's probably one of the most non-judgmental people I've ever met. Like she, she's gone, she had gone through a lot in her life. And so she knew that everybody had baggage, everybody had trauma. She would sit there intently and listen to you with no judgment. Anybody that have a, that had a conversation with her, it was probably one of the most heart to heart conversations that you'd have. Like I used to always kind of describe Chantel as that person where if you met them, you know, at a grocery store or a library, a bar, you'd immediately connect with her and become best friends with her. Like she was just that kind of person where especially if you two were, if you two met at a bar, you two grabbed a drink and then suddenly next thing you knew, you'd be talking for two hours with each other and telling every detail of your life. Where were you in your relationship when she died? We were about a year and a half into dating. So we were living with each other and things were going really good. Like things felt very great in the relationship. It felt very stable. It felt very loving. I I was definitely very head over heels for her. And uh, she was the same for me. Like I said, we were living together. Um, we were definitely saying, I love you. And I think we were thinking of a long-term future for one another. Emily, what, if anything, do you want to share about the night that Chantel died? The night itself is probably still one of the most surreal moments I've ever gone through. Like, I think, um, I remember I, I was there for the entirety of everything that happened because we were coming back. We had gone out to dinner. Um, we had actually had a really lovely day that day. We kind of, I think it was um, a Saturday and we had slept in, we woke up and we were like, you know what? It's like, it's a little crummy outside, but we want to go out. We want to go do something. And so we actually drove up north. We drove through um, Southern Washington and we hit a vineyard, did like a little wine tasting, walked around the a vineyard, grabbed a bottle of wine for ourselves. And it was a really beautiful, like very beautiful memory. Um, and it was a really happy memory. And later that night, we, you know, we were talking and we we're like, you know what, let's, let's keep it going. There's like a sushi place across the street from us that we've been wanting to try since we moved in. And so we went over there hung out there for maybe about three hours, just eating sushi, having some sake, um, talking and talking. One of the things that does give me comfort about that night was how beautiful that day was. Like, I, I don't think it could have been a more perfect day. With the moment that the hit and run happened, you know, it happened probably about like two blocks from where we lived. The whole scene just unfolded. It was extremely traumatic and a while after for months after it just kept feeling like this surreal dream you know I, I kept having this feeling that this isn't real I'm gonna wake up she's gonna be here everything that happened is just gonna be like an awful is just gonna be an awful nightmare um I just remember that incident happened and thank god like one of my friends one of my one of my best friends came over and stayed with me for a bit that night. And I remember just not being able to sleep very well. I just hugged my dog a lot. 
And I, I don't think I'd ever cried so much in my entire life. I just, everything, I, my body was in full shock mode. Uh, I feel like I couldn't process anything. My body was shaking. I was crying. I couldn't quite control myself. I'm sitting with how you described it as feeling like such a surreal dream. That something so devastating and traumatic happens. And then just that like craving, that longing, like, please make this not be true. Please make this not be true. Were there other things that you remember about the first kind of days and weeks and months of grief? I know that time can be hazy for a lot of folks, but wondering what stands out to you from that time period? The That time period is definitely very hazy. You know, it surprisingly in the moment you're just trying to make it minute by minute you know that moment is about three and a half almost four years ago now for me and looking back on it um it's insane how fast that time went by you know I am lucky enough to have a really loving and supporting family and my parents I called them the very next day they were out they were out in Portland from Florida within 24 hours. Uh, and then talking to Chantel's family, they were out here in Portland within a few days. And her aunt helped me through a lot of it too. I would say my parents, my aunt, and a lot of my a lot of my best friends were really there for me in those moments. And I think that's what really carried me through the first uh, two weeks of those moments. I would say some of the moments that stand out the most to me those first few days were the phone calls to everybody, calling her family, calling her friends, calling my family and friends. You're at the forefront of everybody's reactions because it's a very traumatic death. It's a very untimely death. You know, you're trying to sit there and process everything and just survive those first few weeks and then having to tell everybody was probably one of the hardest parts like especially you know her family and especially her best friend that phone call really still sits with me to this day just the timeline of it all went by in those moments so slowly but all at the same time so fast because there's so many things that happen all at once it's you have to tell everybody and then everybody comes in then you have to start figuring out the celebration of life. And then you have to figure out logistics of, you know, what to do with her car, what to do with her phone. We were living in the same apartment. So what do I do with all of her things? And then you still have to somehow figure out how to take care of yourself, how to just feed yourself and get out of bed in the morning. And, you know, also taking care of Indy and figuring out what to do with her since she was Chantel's dog. But the second the accident happened, I the, I knew I was not letting go of Indy. Indy's so tied to Chantel. She's, it, Indy got me through so much of that time period because, you know, her accident happened February of 2020. About two or three weeks after her accident, we went into lockdown. So it was two weeks of chaos and hecticness and people coming in and out, um, people staying, um, things shuffling around in the apartment. And then before I knew it, everything was quiet and everything stopped. 
I couldn't leave the apartment that her and I lived in. And so I was in this place with all these memories. And on top of that, every time I leave the apartment to walk Indy, I, I could see where the site, the accident was at. It was a lot. It was a lot of just felt like this heavy weight on me for months. I'm so thankful for my friends and my family during that time because even though we were in lockdown, you know, they checked in on me all the time, constantly calling me, texting me, FaceTiming me. Um, and Indy was really such a rock for me too. It's really incredible, the power of pets. Indy was the reason I'd get out of bed because she had to go out. And I was like, listen, Chantel died, but you're not going to die. Like, I will make sure you live and I will make sure you have a happy life and have be so happy every day. Um, and so I take her out on long walks every day. And that became very therapeutic for me. That was actually when I started to pick up the habit of running too. And I definitely, I, I won't say I enjoy running, but <laughs> I enjoy it a lot more than I used to. And I think in 2020 was when I really kind of started to pick up, pick up a routine and a habit for running. A lot of that was because of Indy, because she had a lot of energy and she loves running, loves it. And so it always made me so happy. I'd run to the park with her and we'd hang out at the park for like an hour. And then we'd walk or do a little run back to the apartment. That was really what kind of kept me going through that time. I'm realizing, Emily, you know, I think you and I met pretty early on in your grief in 2020. And in that context, right, we were all sort of ratcheted away in our spaces and signing on through our tiny Zoom screens. Uh, but listening to you right now in this moment, it's really striking me just how isolating that time must have been and grief itself is so isolating and then to think of like the whole thing just shut down and you were in that apartment and so close to where she died too like yeah I knew that but I don't think I like knew that knew that till you just talked about it in this moment yeah I don't think I ever realized how much weight all of that was on me until I until I moved that summer um like I remember um, I moved to a new apartment in August. I think the moment I moved was when I realized how heavy that apartment was and how heavy being that close to the site that she died at was. I feel like the moment I moved was kind of the moment that I really started to move forward in my grief. It was when I stopped feeling stuck. I felt like I started making more strides in therapy. Um, I think I started going to the Dougie Center in June or July. So all of that kind of coincided in itself. I was going to therapy weekly. I was doing, I was going to the Dougie Center and then I moved to a new apartment. And I think the combination of all of that really helped, helped me starting to process through my grief and see, start to see a little bit of a light. One of the things I really wanted to talk to you about was I've run into this from other folks of if you're not officially married, 
and your person dies, especially if it's kind of a newer relationship, there can be this uh, sense of invalidation or dismissiveness towards the person who's grieving, both internally and externally, like, oh my gosh, do I deserve to be grieving this much? We weren't married, we weren't together that long. Or the outside world being like, well, you weren't married or you weren't together that long. So I just wonder how that played a role. Yeah, I think there was a lot of internal guilt with it and having exactly that kind of mindset where I was like, oh, you know, we weren't date like we were dating, but we weren't married. And the first year, year and a half or so, it was a really hard mindset to get out of being like, well, like she was the person I thought I was going to marry because she was my first love. She was my first real relationship. And I saw a future with her. And I think the first year, year and a half, it was really hard to even begin to imagine anything outside of that. You know, luckily through a lot of a lot of work, um, a lot of therapy and taking just little steps at a time, that mindset started to to shift. That voice of you'll never have anything outside of this started to get a bit dimmer and started to get a bit more silent. And I started to feel more confident in building a new world around me of going out. I'm still in kind of being like, okay, I can still make friends. I can still date. I can still, I can still do these things. I, I think that took me a while to get into. And, you know, I'm in a really great relationship now. I have a really loving, wonderful partner. I think one of the reasons you feel a lot of guilt with um, that type of mindset of, you know, where, oh, you know, we were just dating, we were only together for a year and a half versus, you know, someone who loses their person that they were married to is just the type of grief that you go through. With me, I was grieving Chantel and I was grieving our memories together, but a lot of the grief that I went through was a grief of this future that I had envisioned with her. And you go through a grief and a mourning period of what could have been, what you wanted and were hoping for versus a grief of knowing someone for a long-term period and being married to someone for a long-term period and grieving those memories. And so I think there's a lot of internal guilt of being like, okay, well, if I'm mourning the what could have been that doesn't feel like it's as impactful as mourning long-term memories. For me, it was a lot of internal struggle. I still feel that um, it is kind of looked upon differently as people outside of you. Like I think, um, especially people who are older, uh, they kind of view moments like that as, um, they view moments of that as a tragedy, but usually typically someone's initial reaction is oh they were so young and with that usually comes a oh they were so young and they still have so much more life to go through so much more chances of love so many more chances of meeting new people and still dating and it's a really 
terrible thing to say to somebody, especially the first few months, the first few years after they lose their person. The like, you're still young. Don't worry. You'll meet someone else. There's more love for you. Yeah, exactly. That plays into kind of the in- internal guilt that you feel. Yeah, like I don't, I don't deserve to feel as much grief as I'm feeling. Yeah, there you feel like, oh, I loved this person, but it wasn't as impactful versus this. And I think as you get further along in your grief journey, one of the biggest things to realize is you can't compare your grief to anybody else's. Like grief, you know, has so many similarities in so many ways, but each person's grief is unique in its own sense because the relationship you had with the person that you're grieving is always going to be different than the person next to you. Um, It's a universal feeling of loss and loneliness and mourning, but the relationships get much more complicated once you start getting into the details. I'm wondering how that played out logistically because I think of when someone dies, if they're married, like officially married, then their spouse is, it seems like they automatically get to make most of the decisions. I know that's not true across the board. And there's lots of times that people, family and friends come in and give lots of thoughts and opinions, but at least legally, they get to decide, what do I do with the stuff? What type of service do we have? Those kinds of things. And for you, you were living with Chantel, but like, how did that play out in terms of planning her celebration of life or deciding what to do with her belongings? I will say her parents were really wonderful throughout it. They really realized the depth of our relationship. Um, And Chantel was also a bit estranged from her family. Um, She didn't talk to her mom in a few years. Her dad, she talked to every once in a while. The person she was probably closest with was her aunt. And, you know, her aunt and I were like attached to the hip during that time period. And she's still such an incredible person and such an incredible support for me. And her aunt and I talked a lot about logistics and talked a lot about what Chantel wanted. And then with her, we sit down and talk to Chantel's parents about it. And I think that helped me a lot, kind of having this bit of support next to me, being like, okay, you know... Chantel expressed this to me. These things are important to her. These things we can donate. And for her celebration of life, maybe we could do something like this. And so a lot of those technical conversations became a lot easier because of the support of our aunt and also just how sweet her parents were during that time period. Everybody had a pretty good grasp of the type of person Chantel was because she never really put on different faces for different people like you know we all kind of act a little differently depending on different friend groups different family meeting strangers co-workers stuff like that but she was she was always the same like what you saw was what you got what role do you think homophobia or people's just general ineptitude sometimes when it comes to navigating same gender queer relationships played in kind of your comfort level in talking to people about Chantel or how people responded to you and your grief? Mm-hmm. I I would say a lot of that, it played a role in how I 
talk about it to different people just because I never really knew the extent of if people knew that Chantel and I were dating, I guess, whether they look at us and be like, oh, they're best friends, or if they look at us and be, okay, they're partners, you know, they live together, they love each other. Um, all of our friends and family knew. And I think people outside of that circle, it just became a strange world to try to figure out how to navigate. Since Chantel and I worked in the same environment, with coworkers of ours that, you know, we liked and that I knew and I talked to every once in a while um, that knew the both of us, but maybe didn't know the extent of our relationship. It was strange trying to navigate those waters and how to talk to them, how to talk about her to them. And it just kind of became this thin line that I would kind of tread where talk about Chantel, but maybe kind of throw in little hints of like, oh yeah, we had been living together or kind of things that, you know, if uh, you're not oblivious to same-sex relationships and couples and queer couples and queer relationships that you'd usually pick up on, but for people that were maybe oblivious to it, it became easier to kind of tell when they couldn't quite get little cues and hints. And I don't want to take the energy of having to deal with someone's reaction if it was a something that they believed in. So, you know, I just kind of kept it within the circle that I knew that Chantel and I shared. That little thing in me that bubbles up gets real mad about them. Yeah, you know, yeah. like how many more things those of us who are in the queer community have to think about and wonder about and walk around, yeah. you know, and I, I, when I see or hear people just kind of offhandedly be like, oh, my wife, my husband, and they just don't even think twice about it. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, I will say, luckily, I've never had any bad experiences with it. Um, I've had a couple of experiences of ignorance with, with our relationship, but never of malice or um, hatefulness, which I'm really grateful for. But it's just, I feel like, you know, with so many stories that you see out in the media and out around the world and the U.S., it, it, you as a queer person, it makes you hesitant to kind of even approach that. I think that was kind of part of the reason that held me back too, was just the possibility that it could be there was enough to make me hesitant. I look back on it and I know that something Chantel would have not, not cared. Not, she would not have given two Fs about it. She, <laughs> she would have been telling people like my girlfriend, my partner, and looking back on that, I feel like it was something I, I, I think I do wish I could have you know, even if it was if it was something that would have made people uncomfortable, I wish I would have made people uncomfortable with it. And it's something that I know Chantel would have gone full force with. So I try to carry that today. Um, like when I go around work, um, I always talk about my partner and my girlfriend and I always bring her to events. I'm not shy to hold her hand, to kiss her on the cheek. 
I think both my current partner and my experiences with Chantel have really helped me feel more confident in that and feeling okay with making people uncomfortable. Like if they're uncomfortable with that, that's on them. (laughs) But I'm going to be me and I'm going to be happy with myself. And to think about the way you, I mean, not to use a cliched phrase, but you totally light up when you talk about Chantel, you know, like it just comes through like the respect and the love and the care you had and have for her. And to think about having to turn that down to ensure that other people don't feel uncomfortable. So yeah, thinking about like how you're stepping into that in a little bit different way now. Yeah, she would have been pissed at me about that. (laughs) (laughs) She would not have afraid to have said something to me and be like, why are you doing that? Step up for yourself. You got this. You're amazing. You're incredible. Like, don't be afraid to be that light. Like, don't be afraid to show that. (laughs) Ever what you're describing, it seems like the way Chantel loved you and supported you has enabled you to be in your new relationship in a way that really embodies that. Absolutely. I carry so many lessons with me that Chantel taught me Um, because Chantel was my very first real relationship and we were together for a year and a half. She really showed me how to show love, how to be there for somebody without, you know, feeling the need to fix something. Just physically being there and emotionally being there for somebody shows so much love. She taught me so many lessons about how to love someone, but also how to love myself, like how to realize how incredible we can be, to not be afraid to realize our worth and to step up for ourselves. You know, I feel like going into this now present relationship that I have with my partner, Danny, I feel like I brought, I feel like I felt so much of that coming into this. Like there was so much love right off the bat and so much mutual respect, just an incredible amount of being, being funny and how easy it was to be with one another and how easy it is to listen to one another I never really thought that the feelings I had that in my relationship with Chantel that I'd feel to the full extent again. And a lot of what my current partner showed me is is that, is that that is true, that I can feel that love again. You know, the love you hold for somebody is different with each person, but that doesn't diminish its light. That doesn't mean one light shines brighter than the other. It's just a different type of light. Danny has been really incredible and realizing the significance that Chantel had in my life and wanting to know more about her and asking about her. You know, some days it's easier to talk about Chantel than others, but Chantel's always been one of my favorite subjects to talk about. And I love talking about her because I still have so much love for Chantel. Being in this new relationship has made me realize how you're not finite in the amount of love that you feel. Um, And that that's a feeling that can be prosperous and continue to grow. I think Chantel 
taught me how to nurture that love. And Danny really showed me how much that love can grow. Not to ask the downer question, (laughs) but I'm wondering what role, if any, knowing that you had someone who was so close to you die so suddenly and unexpectedly, what role does like fear that something will happen to Danny play in your life? Well, I feel like that's always the downer question (laughs) that lingers in the back of your mind. Um, I think because I did so much therapy and group therapy, and it's something I still continue to go through and work through, that's helped me a lot with my anxiety around that, especially around that. You know, I'd go through moments in my relationship where I'd feel myself start to get hesitant. You know, if we reached certain time periods, like when Danny and I moved in with each other, um, or one of the big ones that sticks out is when Danny and I were starting to, the amount of time that we had been dating was starting to reach the amount of time that Chantel and I had been dating. And that was a really nerve wracking and anxiety riddled experience that I wasn't expecting. Um, it, and in moments like that, I feel myself pull away, but because I've been through so much therapy, I'm glad that I'm at a stage where I can recognize that. And one thing that I really try to work on is trying to communicate that with Danny and trying to be like, hey, listen, this is how I'm feeling. I think I'm feeling this way because of this. You know, there might not be anything that you can do about it. (laughs) You know, these feelings just kind of come in waves and knowing that you just kind of got to write it out and being like the best thing you can do for me is just be present and be here with me and doing that helps so much just sits there with me and then she'll ask how I'm doing and you know if I'm I'm not I'm not doing great I don't worry about telling her that because I know she's not taking it on internally I know she's just listening to me and being present, you know, she'll ask if there's anything that she can do. Those actions alone help me so much. And a lot of that anxiety that I feel, I think it's something that I still struggle with from time to time. The big anniversary dates with Chantel, like the birthdays, the death anniversaries, the anniversaries are the ones where I start to feel that anxiety bubble up more around um, around that feeling of everything I have now, I'm going to lose. Those types of feelings bubble up around those times more. The ways I just try to deal with it is I try to recognize those feelings, try to understand where they're coming from. And I I just try to be honest about it. And I try to be open about it. Just try to write it through and write it through with support helps a lot. Well, Emily, we didn't mean for this to be a PSA for therapy, but I feel like that's where we landed. (laughs) 
but I will always be it. I will always be a, a advocate for therapy. <laughs> like I, I really don't think I'd be at the mental state I am now if I had not gone through really, like a lot of work in therapy for a solid, a, a very solid year and a half. I was going to therapy weekly and then doing the group therapy biweekly. So it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. Um, I'm not going to lie. I did get a bit burnt out on therapy. So back in 2022, I took I took a little break, but I'm starting to dip my toes back into it. And I highly recommend it. Highly, highly recommend it, especially when you're going through grief. It's such a it's such a hard time. And it's such an isolating and lonely time, even when you do have people around you being able to talk to being able to talk to an expert about it and especially a therapist where their job is just to, you know, listen to you. <laughs> you don't have to worry about people's reactions. You don't have to worry about somebody being like, oh no, I'm so sorry. Or you don't have to worry about taking on other people's reactions and emotions to your loss. That helps mentally so much. And grief group was a huge help for me too. Just, I remember one of the moments I had in therapy, what led me to grief group was I went into therapy and I was like, I just feel so freaking lonely. Like every, every second of every day, this hole in me feels so heavy and so big. Um, and my therapist recommended going to grief group and being able to sit in these meetings and listening to people who might not be going through the same experience as I am, but still going through grief nonetheless. It, you know, it makes that it it makes that burden of grief feel a little lighter because you're like, oh, thank God I'm not the only one, <laughs> you know. Well, Emily, thank you for taking time today for sharing so much about Chantel with me. I feel like I learned new things about her that I hadn't heard before and to talk about kind of the evolution of what it was like to have that love and to bring that love into your new relationship today. So thank you for your time and for your stories. And thank you so much for having me. I Chantel's always one of my favorite subjects to talk about. So I appreciate you asking me these questions and listening to all these stories that I have about her. <laughs> and listeners out there, I thank you each and every time for being part of our show, for tuning in, for making Grief Out Loud mean what it does. If you want to reach out to me, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me directly at griefoutloud at dougie.org. That's D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G. That's our main website as well, where you can find downloadable resources, information about our local programming, and each and every episode of Grief Out Loud. And I'm always excited to share that this pod podcast is sponsored in part by the Chester Steffen Endowment Fund. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time. <laughs>